Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, it is good to be here myself uh, on this beautiful Labor Day weekend. Uh, unfortunately, we have m- many parts of the country, as you may know, kind of in uh, tough uh, straits again with just one more storm coming through. But today I want to talk about Labor Day, Labor Day Eve, actually. Today is Labor Day Eve. So we're going to spend some time this morning on talking about uh, working and resting in the Lord. Um, You know, when I was growing up, I never quite understood what Labor Day was all about. I'm not sure I still understand it, but... um, I knew that it was the end of summer, and where I grew up, it was always the beginning of school. Next day was always school. Um, But it seemed appropriate today that, since it is Labor Day weekend, that we spend a little time about God's Word and uh, what His Word has to say about work and rest at the same time. So Labor Day has its roots actually back in Canada, not in the U.S. Uh, Some Americans uh, were involved in the labor movement here. They went to Canada, saw that Canada had an observation of, uh, you know, that holiday. And so they pushed for the holiday here in the U.S. And Grover Cleveland in 1894 proclaimed the first Monday in September as Labor Day uh, was first recognized uh, for unions and then uh, the American worker. So today we celebrate the worker, and that's a good thing for all working people. But uh, today I really don't see too much emphasis placed on the day in honor of Labor Day or celebrating the worker As such, it seems like it's evolved into a weekend of maybe the start of college football. Not that I watch a lot of college football. Uh, And certainly, you know, before fall comes, the last day of summer and so on. But most of all, it is a day off of work for many, many working people. Um, And it's been two months, July 4th, since the last day off. So... uh, It's well-deserved by many, many people. So when you hear the word job, what comes to mind? You think, I'm glad I have a job. I wish I had a job. Uh, Or I'm glad tomorrow's a holiday. Or maybe you're reminded of the seven dwarfs who remember as they headed off to work. Maybe some of you do this. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work we go. Um, and how many of you remember your first job? Somehow we always seem to remember our first job, don't we? I remember my first job. I was uh, delivering papers after school, and um, I did some restaurant work when I was in high school, but I think it was that uh, paper job, delivering those papers, that I learned some things about people, and uh, when I would break a window, you know, some people were nice about it, (laughs) some people were not so nice about it, so I tried not to do that. But anyway, that's how we learn, right? That's how we learn. But let me ask you today, what about work? 
where does this thing called work fit into what it means to be a follower of Christ? Uh, For many of us, work is something we do. We do it because we have to pay bills, we have to feed the family, and we have to live. Um, And the Bible, we know, speaks about work really quite a bit, as I found out here, from Genesis to Revelation. And the Bible helps us gain an understanding of what God's expectations are as followers of Christ for us. So, uh, Michael Jordan, many of you know Michael Jordan. He's a superstar basketball player. He had six NBA titles, five MVPs, 10 scoring titles, 14 All-Star appearances, and many stellar last-second shots. Um, His legacy is really unmatched on the basketball court. According to a fellow by the name of Matt Smethurst, um, he asked the question, do you still, to Mike, do you still want to be like Mike? Um, and he's written some material, and when Mike, when greatness meets emptiness. So Michael Jordan is now 50, I think he's actually over 50, um, but life off the court hasn't come close to what it was for Michael on the court. Um, and so he's a Hall of Famer now, and he states, I would give up everything now to go back and play the game of basketball. Jordan used to have an insatiable drive to prove himself on the court, and uh, that same intensity in his life is still present. But he just hasn't found the significance or satisfaction in life. And ESPN writer Wright Thompson puts it this way, Jordan is used to being the most important person in every room he enters and going a step further in the lives of everyone he meets. People cater to his every whim. His self-esteem has always been, as he says, tied directly to the game. Without it, he feels adrift, He has been running, moving as fast as he could, creating distractions, creating distance. And in his 2009 Hall of Fame speech, Jordan called the game of basketball his refuge, the place where I've gone when I needed to find comfort and peace. So here's a question for you. Where do you find your comfort and peace? Um... Where's your refuge? Are you looking for peace through another person? A possession? Some kind of pleasure? You're seeking your peace through work and your worth through work. So let's take a look in our Bibles. If you can turn to Psalm 127 this morning. That's on page 518 of the uh, Bible that we have in the chair in front of you. And as you're turning, there's a little bit of a uh, byline there, kind of a preface. It says, a song of ascents. And uh, since Jerusalem was located on a high hill, uh, when someone traveled to the city, they would go up 
or ascend. Uh, and we know there are 15 songs of ascent in Psalm 120 through 134. And they were sung uh, when worshipers would uh, head to Jerusalem uh, for the three main Jewish festivals. And Jewish priests were actually known to sing these songs as they walked up the steps to the temple. And then the next phrase says, of Solomon. So Solomon wrote two of the Psalms. And according to 1 Kings 4, verse 32, Solomon was a prolific compiler of Proverbs and also a songwriter. He also spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were 1,005, according to that verse. So verses 1 to 2, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, and lab- build it labor in vain. Unless the wa- Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he, he, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So here's a couple of observations about these verses. The word unless, you'll notice, is used twice. And this is a word of condition, similar to the meaning of except. Um, So it's kind of an emphatic term. And uh, we also see three words that are very similar in meaning. And all have to do with build, labor, and toil. And notice that the next word, vain, is used three times. That can be translated as emptiness, vanity, you've heard, uselessness, worthless, and without result. So perhaps we can summarize Solomon's point as, unless our labor is for the Lord, our lives will be empty. There's two cute two key human needs that are addressed in these verses, as I see it. Significance and satisfaction. So, uh, significance being, look at verse 1, unless the Lord builds. And we all want our contribution in life to count, don't we? Uh, For our lives, perhaps to leave a legacy. Uh, But unfortunately, many people today are seeking significance apart from the Lord. And uh, they build and labor in vain. Uh, While some people love their jobs, others have a real struggle for what they do. For some, career is also an altar. And they've sacrificed their lives for that. Uh, Work can very easily become our religion where we bow down and we give all our time. Um, I know some of you have seen the movie War Room. It was one of our life groups, in fact. Uh, Same guys that made the movie Facing the Giants, Fireproof, Courageous. One of the characters is a guy who is trying to find his entire worth through his work. Um, I won't give it all away, but suffice it to say, he ends up seeing how empty he really is. When life lacks meaning, many people 
look to provide identity and self-esteem through work. And at times this was a struggle for me in my working life. It's easy, and companies just, they'll absorb you, folks. They will absorb you. You have to manage yourself and be responsible to the Lord. The Lord is our Savior. And um, my kind of footnote to you is just, just be careful how you manage your time and be careful how uh, you walk in your, in your work life. So Solomon kept a diary that can be found. We find his diary in the Bible, actually. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. And he came to understand that our jobs are never designed to meet our deepest needs. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 3, he says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And then Ecclesiastes 2, verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. And then in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11, he says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You may get tired of your job, um, or, or uh, you may get tired at your job, but the Bible teaches work does have an intrinsic value for a couple of reasons. One, God himself is a worker. We see this in uh, Genesis uh, 1, states that God created the heavens and the earth, and in Genesis 2, verse 2, he called this activity work. On the seventh day, God finished his work. He rested. And um, in John 5, verse 17, Jesus then declared, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And the other point here is that we are his co-workers. Not only is God a worker, but we are workers also. In Genesis 1, 26, says that man is to have dominion over the creation. In Genesis 2, verse 15 states that Adam was placed in the garden to work it and keep it. And notice that this work was given to Adam before the creation was cursed uh, because of his sin. Uh, God planted the garden and man cultivated it. And that's what, uh, that partnership continues today. God gives it to us and we manage what we've been given. We're to be stewards of what we've been given. And 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9 uh, tells us, for we are God's fellow workers. Now listen to this. The Hebrew word for work is also translated as worship and service. God has always intended our work and our worship and our giving to be a seamless way of living. Adam worshipped God by doing the work that he was given to do. Uh, when we labor out of our love for the Lord, we put on display the intelligent mind of God who created each and every one of us. When we work in concert with him, according to our giftedness and abilities, God is glorified and we're fulfilled 
because that's what he's made us to do. Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Unfortunately, in Genesis 3, with the interests of sin, that partnership was distorted. And Adam and Eve became self-centered with a desire to take instead of give, dominate instead of serve. And because of the fall in Genesis 3.17, God says that work would involve painful toil. And verse 18 declares that work will no longer be completely efficient because the ground would produce thorns and thistles. The challenge for us is to recognize that even though labor can be hard and challenging, we've been designed to work in tandem with God, not just for ourselves. When God's people work apart from the Lord, uh, when they did, building the Tower of Babel, God put an end to it, didn't he? Scattering them over the face of the earth. Our culture holds up work in a way, uh, as a way to find fulfillment. And I remember this going through uh, some management development school myself. They talk about Maslow's theory and self-actualization and all these things. But Colossians 3 23 to 24 tells us, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. It's our inheritance. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So Martin Luther King said, put it like this, If a man is called uh, to be a, a street sweeper, he should sweep streets as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here live a great street sweeper who did his job well. Amen. There's a story about Mary Staples, a single mom. She worked for Firestone um, in a labor, laboring position, for several years, she raised her children by scrounging, saving, working to stay financially afloat. And one of her sons chose to relieve the family of this financial responsibility and join the Navy. His name is Elgin Staples, and uh, he was assigned to the USS Astoria as a third-class signalman. So... Uh, I think I'll have, Chuck, if you have the video, we'll hear the story about Elgin Staples. Uh, Gary Sinise, by the way, is uh, kind of acting here as Elgin Staples. He can tell the story much better than I can. You know, our God promises us our labor is not in vain, doesn't he? No matter what we do, no matter who we are. Uh, but unless our labor is for the Lord our lives will be empty when we work with him, allowing the Lord to do his building through us, we find significance in our life. Now, um, let's look again at Psalm 127. Spend a minute here on satisfaction. In verse 2, we see the picture of 
unhealthy desperation. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So Solomon's describing someone here who is pretty stressed out, not sleeping, not enjoying food. Um, and the term anxious toil has uh, to do with hurt and uh, along with emotional and physical pain. So Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 2, to 23, something similar. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So here's the thought. Here's the principle. Instead of trying to get our satisfaction from our jobs by working harder and harder and putting in more and more hours, which you can find yourself very easily doing, folks, believe me. Only the Lord can give to his beloved sleep, rest. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 12 says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. And Psalm 4, verse 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So again, unless our labor is for the Lord, our lives will be empty. When we do labor for the Lord, we find significance and satisfaction in Him. So how do we apply what we've learned here about work and labor? Uh, Let me have you consider these points. Evaluate your emptiness. Uh, Is life unsatisfying and empty for you? Does your money seem to burn a hole in your pocket? And in the first chapter of Haggai, verses 5 to 7, he says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough to drink. Uh, And you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so, to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. The solution here is to put God first and not ourselves. And worship while you work. Worship. Not whistle. (laughs) Some of you heard that. Worship while you work. Um, So on this Labor Day weekend, we pause from our jobs, the work that we've done, whatever it may be, um, that worship, live out worship in the workplace and on the campuses, in school, uh, and that's where most of us spend the majority of our time, isn't it? Um, So there's a story about a dad took his daughter to work one day. His daughter seemed excited. She was going to meet the dad's co-workers. And on the way home, however, she said, uh, he asked, didn't, didn't you have a nice time? And she said, uh, well, it was okay, uh, but I thought it would be more like a circus. 
Uh, her dad was confused and asked, what do you mean? He said, or she said, well, uh, you said you work with a bunch of clowns. And I never got to see them. <laughs> so, those you work with, love others, right? What does the Lord tell us? They need to be respected. And yes, loved, as the Bible tells us, as we live out our Christianity. Another point, live on mission at work. Uh, you're a missionary designed as an employee, or you're a missionary is designed as a, or disguised, I should say, as an engineer, or you're a missionary disguised as a server at a restaurant, or missionary disguised as a business owner, and so on. Uh, student, many, many things. You're as a neighbor. Missionary disguises neighbor. You get the idea. Live on mission, whatever you do. And see your work as a calling, not as a career. Worship God, not your work. Don't make your job an idol. And don't look to find your identity there. Uh, significance and satisfaction can only come from the Lord. Um, and if you're a stay, stay-at-home mom or dad, this is your job, Right? And if you're retired, you have the opportunity to uh, uh, worship and work as you worship and serve in fresh and new ways. So if you want to find worth in your work, view your job as a calling, not just a career. And then... Work hard at whatever you do. Book of Proverbs has quite a bit to say about this. Um, Proverbs 14, for example, says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. In Proverbs 21, verse 25, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. I think there's about 14 or so passages when I was looking in Proverbs. So Proverbs does has a lot has a lot to say about the sluggard. Work hard at your job, but don't let it become your god, right? Lower G. Enjoy the results of God's work um, and put your faith and trust in the labor of love that was fully expressed by Christ on the cross. So let me come back to that article about Michael Jordan. He never had peace. Triumph and fame he did have, but not peace. And when he turned 50, he asked, how can I find peace away from the game of basketball? Again, Matt Smethurst of the Gospel Coalition writes in his post, you will never find life outside the game for the same reason you never found life in it. It's not there. The peace you seek isn't available on the basketball court or on a golf course or, I would say, in a job, but on a hill outside Jerusalem. Uh, and there we know Yahweh incarnate hung in the place of sinners. And want to be uh, Yahweh's like you and like me, this is Matt Smethurst talking, 
you've gained the world and found it lacking. Mike, don't lose your soul. So here's the deal. Significance and satisfaction only found through the salvation of Christ. Unless the labors for the Lord, our lives will be empty. And the Lord also provides for us true rest. And this is my last point. So Time Magazine, back in the 60s, had expert testimony given to a Senate subcommittee on time management. You can imagine this, right? They predicted that advances in technology would change, radically change, how many hours people worked in a week. They forecasted that the average American would be working, can you guess? 22 hours a week. I know. (laughs) Um, So, and the the experts said the great challenge was uh, to figure out what to do with all the excess time. Don't we wish, huh? Over and 50 years later, more than that, uh, major advances in technology. How many are wondering what to do with the excess time they have? <laughs> um, so they were wrong, weren't they? And rest today is what many of us desire. Uh, I know when I was working full time, uh, the bar kept going up every year, and I know it does for you as well. So rest is what we do need, and not just physical, but spiritual rest. True rest can only come through peace with God. I want to look at another scripture this morning, kind of quickly here in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30 on page 816 of the Bible in front of you. And Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So three things here that Jesus shares for for true rest. First, we must come. Come to him. And uh, look again at verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. He didn't say come to church. Because we're in a building, doesn't mean we're Christian. Um, he, didn't, he didn't say, uh, you know, come to work. Come to me. Um, Rest comes, salvation comes, when we meet Christ personally. Uh, Gathering information about him doesn't make you a Christian. Joining a group doesn't make you a Christian. Having Christian parents doesn't make you a Christian. First, foremost, he says, come. Uh, if If we're to find true rest, And next he says, uh, come to me and I will give you that rest. Let me have your burdens and I will give you rest. Now, in Judaism, scholars tell us that the law had placed about 613 rules and regulations on the Jewish people in order to be right with God. 
no one could possibly keep all of them. And the people were pretty despondent, pretty downtrodden. They were seeking rest and peace from all this man-made religion. And Jesus was saying to them, if you are tired of trying to please God by keeping all these rules and regulations that man has put on you, let me carry your burden of sin and shame and come to me, and I will give you rest from all this. Let me carry this for you. Let me make you good enough. Let me take your place in punishment for sin. I will carry all your sin to the cross. You no longer have to carry your sin. And then verse 29 to 30, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, commit to his yoke. Commit to my teaching, because my yoke is easy. What I expect from you is different from all that you've been taught. Uh, Your eternal destiny will no longer be determined by works and rules and regulations. I am the way to eternal life. Just yoke yourself to me. Commit to my yoke. So you might ask, what was Jesus' yoke? Love God, love each other. Two commands. The yoke of the Pharisees, 613 rules and regulations. My yoke is two. Love God, love each other. When you do this, you find true rest for yourself. Um, And let me ask you, if your soul isn't able to rest... How can you find physical rest? So, in closing, it really doesn't matter what you do. We're to bring honor and glory to God in all we do. Whether it's an employee, as an employee, a business owner, a volunteer, serving the church, uh, or at work, uh, I'm sorry, working at home, uh, as a work uh, at home mom or dad, Um, And whatever we're called to do, and go ahead, do it, do it with joy. And uh, if we are working for Christ, we belong to him, and he will give us that true rest. We need to be a living example of what it means to be a follower of Christ in everything we do. Through our work, we honor God, and the work really does matter to God. So do the work you're called to do. Bring glory to him. As Paul said in Galatians 6, verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Labor day and every day you labor, whether for a paycheck or a volunteer, remember, glorify and honor Jesus Christ. Take his yoke and find your true rest in him. So if you haven't already, this Labor Day uh, weekend, find your true rest in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for your word this morning, Lord.
And uh, we pray, pray, Lord, as we as we go to our work, Lord, wherever it may be, or we go to school, or we work at home, Lord, whatever it may be, we pray that we can be the worshipers that you want us to be, Lord. And have that witness, that testimony, Lord, that you want us to have as we co-work with you in serving you, Lord. Lord, we pray that there's someone here this morning who hasn't found true rest in you. Lord, we pray that your word would just penetrate their hearts, Lord, and they would be able to take that yoke, Lord, commit to that yoke, commit to loving you, to loving others, Lord, and come to know you as their own personal Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you again. Amen.